Life insurance is the superhero in today's episode of Retiring Today. So, Lauren, let's go back to, you know, the beginning. <laughs> the beginning of the time. <laughs> I thought we were going caveman's No, insurance. I don't even. Yeah, when was life insurance first? Back to the coronavirus is yet to be determined, but one industry may be prepared to weather the storm, and that would be the insurance business. I believe that there are triggers in our life. And so the pandemic, yes, has led folks to almost look at the terms and the possibility of needing life insurance. Welcome to Retiring Today, the podcast that guides you to and through retirement. We are continuing to feature the superheroes of our superheroes series. So this is kind of fun. We take pieces of your retirement and we try to tell you how they can be superheroes and help you supercharge your retirement vision. So we've done episodes on what we've done, non-qualified accounts, HSAs. What else, guys? The Roth. The Roth, the power of the Roth. Mm -hmm. These superheroes are featured in our podcast, so you can look for some of those episodes on the things we just discussed, and we talk about them on our TV show. It's called, Lauren? Retiring Today. With Lauren Merkel. So if you go to YouTube and you search Merkel Retirement Planning, you can see kind of the visual representation of some of these superheroes as well. We use fun graphics, and we try to sometimes use numbers and real examples, so if you like to learn that way, you can check out that on YouTube. But today... We're tackling the superhero known as life insurance. So I'm Molly Nelson. I'm the host of this thing. Rochelle Smith, she produces and unfortunately has to edit. (laughs) (laughs) Edit my errors. So she just told me, Molly, if you don't complete a sentence, don't stop and start over at the same breath. It's really hard for me to edit that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that does make sense. Sorry, yeah, Michelle. I'll work. Okay. I'll work on that today. And then the other person in the podcast room with us today is Lauren Merkel. He is a certified financial planner. Lauren, why is life insurance a superhero? Well, one of the, the biggest wealthy growing factors in retirement is taxation. And life insurance is very tax friendly. But then also it allows surviving spouses to continue their retirement and that they have always dreamed as well when when their spouse has passed away. So it, it's uh, it's really an emotionally binding type of product, and it can do things that no other products can. And there's so many different types of life insurance products out there. That's why we're talking about this in the, in the terms of it is a superhero. It has superhero powers, and now it's a matter of how you construct your life insurance plan to make sure you get the most out of those superhero powers and, and allow it to do the things things that you really needed to do in your retirement, whether it's to protect a surviving spouse, whether it's to offset some of the risk of long-term care, or whether it is to provide tax-free retirement income. There's so many powers that go along with life insurance. And there's some studies that have been done about the surge of awareness for the need for life insurance due to coronavirus. Coronavirus. One thing I read this morning was that um, in India, for example, before coronavirus, they only had 2.6% of the life insurance, the global life insurance market. And they're seeing a surge in, in that country uh, of people that are applying for life insurance due to coronavirus. So maybe more on people's minds uh, than ever before, in, at least in, in modern times, uh, due to this uh, global pandemic that's been hitting. So what, how could life insurance, Lauren, and how we think about life insurance and maybe even 
apply for life insurance possibly change or what are you seeing during the pandemic? Well, what would be a podcast without talking about coronavirus? Well, it is <laughs> it's top of mind for a lot of people. <laughs> it certainly is. And, and yes, there has been a surge in applications because people are thinking about their mortality and there's a lot of different ways we can experience that. And now because of COVID-19, that's just one additional way that people are thinking about uh, possibly an event taking place where they're not going to be here. And then what, what next, what's going to happen financially to their kids? What's going to happen financially to, to the surviving spouse in ways to protect that. So there has been a surge in applications, but the process, what we've seen, seeing is changing as well. So every life insurance company, they have what's called actuaries and it's the actuaries job to make sure that the life insurance is priced appropriately based on the risks that are present as they issue these life insurance policies. So they are considering coronavirus and they are changing the process and how they evaluate mortality risk as they underwrite these uh, policies. So the prospects of coronavirus or this pandemic and the implications that it has to the world and this country's mortality is certainly a consideration with life insurance companies at this point. Yeah, definitely some talk about rates being raised as some people saying they're already seeing rates being raised again, depending on the carrier. Also, if your carrier uh, requires an in-person medical exam, depending on the restrictions in your state at that time, your ability to get that exam done, how long it could take to get through the process is being affected by the coronavirus. Life insurance is the superhero that we are discussing on retiring today. Life insurance, Lauren, when do people first kind of start thinking about life insurance? Because we know it evolves as we get closer to retirement. One of the most well-known superpowers of life insurance is that tax-free death benefit, which many people think of as income replacement. So that's exactly right, Molly. If you are a young family, maybe you just had your first child or maybe you're on your second child, and you're starting to think about what happens if something crazy happens and you are no longer alive, how is your surviving spouse going to make it for the rest of his or her life? And then how, how are your kids going to be able to maintain the same lifestyle that they've grown accustomed to, how are they going to be able to go through college and then get off uh, on their way into their lives once once they grow up as well? So that's that's really probably the first time that people start thinking about using life insurance and they're using using it or thinking about it in a way that is sheer income replacement. I pass away, five hundred thousand dollars of life insurance. Surviving spouse can continue to, uh, to continue to raise the kids in the lifestyle that they've grown accustomed to, and uh, and eventually that five hundred thousand dollars is going to run out. But it is there to protect the household. And then as people get older, they start thinking about debt. paying off debt. So you might have a mortgage or you might have some debt from putting the kids into college. So you think about if I pass away, then I need this money to make sure my surviving spouse isn't in a big hole because my income has now now gone. And then as you continue to age and go through different fa- the different phases of your life, and now you're approaching retirement, now most people, a lot of people don't have this debt. Certainly the kids are out of school. They're not dependent financially on you anymore. So now you're starting starting to think about it in a little bit different way. And the, one of the biggest questions we get around life insurance in this phase of people's lives is do we need it? Do we need this life insurance? They have $500,000 death benefit. If they pass away, the spouse is going to be okay whether they have the $500,000 death benefit or not in many cases, certainly not all, but many. 
So do they need to continue to pay these premiums on this life insurance? So from there, we do an analysis of what it is they are really trying to accomplish now or could accomplish now with the life insurance. Their needs may have changed. Their desires or motivation to have the life insurance may have changed. And maybe they don't need the life insurance, so maybe they let it go. If it's a permanent policy with some cash value, is there a better way to use that cash value than to support this death benefit? Or is it a term policy that they've had all these years, and once it once that term lapses, they don't need to renew it at probably 10 to 15 times what they have been paying, so that's an easy one. They let it go. So we need to reevaluate what are some of the potential uses of the life insurance based on the type of policy that it is and based on what it is they are trying to accomplish now going forward. Some people really have some strong legacy ambitions for their kids or their their grandkids. So maybe they realize or after the assessment, they understand they don't need it to protect their spouse or surviving spouse but they still like it. They like the fact of, of that superpower of tax-free death benefit going to their kids to inject some additional retirement resources for them that they can use in really any way to support them throughout the course of their retirement and or even some grandkids to help them through their college or help them get started in their adult life. And then there's another way uh, which is has, be, has really over the last 50 years increased exponentially is for charitable giving because you can really balloon your gift and there's a lot of foundations a lot of endowments that that go to great lengths to educate people on how they can balloon what they give using life insurance for those bequests so there's there's a lot of different uses for life insurance. It's just dependent upon what are you trying to accomplish and what you're trying to accomplish can certainly evolve as you, as you go through these different phases of life. You did a good job, I think, of explaining how to think about life insurance through the different phases of life. But now let's go back just a little bit and explain the basics of life insurance. Some of the terms, the things we've heard, the things we do know, the perceptions people have that maybe aren't quite accurate. So first, just the difference between term universal life and whole life learn well there's two two main categories of life insurance one is term and then one is permanent and then there's subcategories underneath each one of those so let's just take let's tackle term first it's it's the easier of the two it, and it's pretty straightforward term means that it is not going to be your life insurance policy forever you're going to designate when you purchase it a certain length of time that you're going to have this policy in place. And that could be a 10-year policy, a 15, 20, 25, 30, depending upon what age you are. If you're really young, you can go out probably as long as 30 years. But once you once you get older, there's less insurance companies that are willing to extend those lengths past 10 years. So as an example, if you're 70 years old, then there's not a lot of insurance companies that are willing to give you a 20-year term. If you're 30 years old, you probably wouldn't have any problems as long as you can go through the underwriting to get a 30-year term policy. But once that term expires, now that insurance is gone. And a lot of people will use term insurance for that debt or income, the debt payoff or the income replacement. So you, when you're 30 years old, now you have a $300,000 mortgage, uh, you pass away, you want to make sure that mortgage is paid off, and then there's something left over for your surviving spouse and your kids to maintain their lifestyle as they go. 
That's a good explanation of term. The permanent policies, how do those work? The permanent policies are just as represented. They're, as long as you pay your premiums, then you will have that death benefit coverage for as long as you are alive. Because, and what that means is the insurance company is going to pay a death benefit. As long as, you, as long as you hold up your end of the bargain, pay the premiums, the life insurance company is going to pay a death benefit. That's why the permanent policies are more expensive than the term. A very small percentage of term policies, the insurance company actually pays a death benefit because most of the time that term policy lapses or it it uh, goes to the, the full term and they're not on the hook for the death benefit. So permanent policies are typically more expensive because as long as you pay your premium, the insurance company is going to pay. Now, there are whole life policies, which are really the traditional policies that have been around probably since dinosaurs. There are the... Dinosaurs <laughs> had life insurance? <laughs> In the life insurance world, yeah. Who knew? Yeah. And then there's universal policies, uh, and then there are some variable policies, uh, and they all work a little bit differently. But the main construct or premise behind permanent policies is, is they will be there as long as you continue to pay your premiums. Okay. I am certain that I think about math in a different way than you do, Lauren. So this question may make absolutely no sense. Or it may make great mathematical sense. I, I talk a lot about retirement math. Is this Molly math? <laughs> <laughs> Just hang on for one second. Okay, when you're deciding, when you're helping family, when you're helping families make a decision about life insurance, do you weigh premiums and the monthly cost? Is there some math that's done where you look at the premiums, the monthly cost, how long we'll have to pay them versus the death benefit and like the gap in between the two becomes like the value of the life insurance or is that math crazy? No, that's, that's a part of the equation, but it's not the complete equation. And, and especially when you're talking about value, there's so many different ways to measure value. That's the monetary value. Uh, but then there's also the value that you get for the, the why, as in, why are you buying life insurance? And that's really where we start. What, what's your real main objective to purchase life insurance? And then we work backwards from there. And we determine, does it make the most sense to purchase a term policy for that why? Does it make the most sense to purchase a permanent policy for that why? And then from there, what we do is we go out to all the insurance companies. So there's over 100 different insurance companies that we can work with. And we will price out then based on the underwriting conditions and their health requirements, age, all of that, what that policy is actually going to cost from a monetary standpoint. And then, yeah, we, we will look at it and say, you're, you're going to pay X amount of premium for X amount of time, and then you're going to get X amount of value. Does that make sense from a monetary standpoint? But then also does it make sense for all the other value of the, the why are you actually purchasing life insurance? Because I'm just thinking about whatever that premium is a month. I'm just going to take $1,000. And I'm thinking about you have so many options to do with that $1,000. You can put it into, I mean, we talk about all these superheroes, right? You've, mm -hmm. got, you've got the non-qualified accounts. You've got um, just all these other ways that you can put that $1,000 in and I'm just thinking about how complicated it is to decide if life insurance is the best way for me to spend that $1,000 a month. Yeah, I love where you're going with this because what you're talking about now is opportunity cost. And there are these two well-known voices out there that both have dissenting opinions when it comes to life insurance. One opinion is you are buying life insurance for the death benefit, the death benefit only. 
it's not an investment. You're you're covering a risk or a multitude of risks, and that's why you would purchase term insurance. And then there's another voice out there that says you should purchase permanent insurance because you know it's always going to be there. You're going to receive some kind of benefit and you have all of these tax-free income or death benefit options that come with it that you're not going to receive from the term route. So that's that's the uh, buy term, invest the difference mentality or use permanent insurance as an investment as well. So you have a $1,000 a month premium. What else could you be doing with that $1,000 a month? And there are, are a lot of different options that you can do with that thousand dollars. So it's, it's basically a comparison. First of all, again, it goes back to the why, why are you purchasing life insurance? What's the main motive for you to do so? And then that will tend to lead you one way or the other, the permanent or the term. And then from there, you, you want to get the least expensive option for what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And that's basically how you evaluate most purchases, right? And it doesn't matter what you're trying to purchase for whatever you're trying to get for the money that you're paying. You want to pay the least for the, for the most. And, and that's the same with life insurance. I was on AARP's website this morning and they've had a lot of questions about life insurance and the coronavirus. And, and they were talking about some of these policies and how they're changing. They said that the mutual of Omaha has suspended sales of fully underwritten life insurance policies for those 70 and up. So how is underwriting and the coronavirus changing the landscape of life insurance? Well, if you look at the demographic of who has been most impacted from a mortality standpoint, it's, it's that demographic of 70 and over from the coronavirus. So mutual of Omaha, which is a huge, very well-known insured, they're just taking the lead on this. And they're saying, at this point, why take the extra risk? Because there's so much uncertainty and there's a lot of information out there that pe- we, we still don't know about the coronavirus. But all we do know is that that demographic has been affected at a greater rate than the, the other age groups. So they're saying they're going to suspend uh, 70 and over, uh, the underwriting on 70 and over group because of that reason. And there's other changes that have taken place due to Corona as well. There's, there's this talk. And I remember back in, in March, this is when this, this conversation really took hold is insurance companies not paying claims due to the death of the coronavirus. And what we've seen, how this has played out, there have been some insurance companies that have fought that or tried not to pay claims, but it hasn't really worked well in their favor. And the vast majority of deaths due to coronavirus, those claims have been paid and and it looks like they'll continue to be paid as well. And just speaking generally about underwriting, what are the perceptions, the realities? I I know I've heard people say, oh, I'll never get life insurance because I smoke. I'll never get life insurance because I'm overweight. I'll never get life insurance because I have X medical condition. Do you feel like people are surprised sometimes that they're able to get life insurance or what's the landscape there? Yeah, sometimes. And and sometimes people say I've had cancer, so I will never become insured. And that's just not true either. These underwriters, um, there's, they use medical science and all they're trying to do is really group a large group of people together and say, as a group, when is this group going to pass away? And then they base their underwriting on this large group of people. So it's, a, it's the law of large numbers. So with, from a mortality standpoint, um, they look at some underlying conditions. Uh, they do a full underwritten process in many of these cases that looks at uh, even your family's health history, whether there's heart attacks 
uh, in your family with your parents uh, and grandparents. And so they look at all the different factors, and then from that they can determine or assess, will you be underwritten or will you be rated? So you can get preferred, and in each one of these carriers have a different descriptor for this. So I'm just going to go from one carrier. They have a super preferred they have preferred, they have standard, and then they have table ratings, usually to table four. And if you are super preferred, that means for your death benefit, you are going to pay less than you would if you were preferred or any of the ones underneath that. And if you're a table four, that means you're going to pay the most for that same amount of death benefit. One of the superpowers of life insurance is that it can be used as an investment tool. It certainly can. I mean, it's a multifunction uh, superpower or superhero, which is why it is so powerful. We've talked about the death benefit aspect of it, but what about the investment component of it? Permanent and, and term policies don't have this, by the way. So now this is just with the permanent policies, policies and how the money is invested can vary as well. Typically, and underneath a whole life policy, the company will provide a dividend. And that dividend can change every year, but you see these insurance companies bragging about the last 10 years of steadily increasing dividend or just the same dividend. The, the important part is, is they're saying it didn't go down, right? That's how they market these, these whole life policies because they pay a dividend. Uh, the universal policies, there's an interest account that the performance that you receive is based on what that interest account is paying you. And then there's variable policies, which your money can be invested in the stock or bond market. So the performance on that, that investment will be dependent upon what those sub accounts perform, whether they're invested in stocks or bonds. So there's an investment component of it. So the insurance premium that you pay, let's say going back to Molly, your example, it's a thousand dollars a month. Part of that is going to go for the actual death benefit. So let's say 200 of that 1,000 will go to the death benefit. And then the remaining portion, the 800, will go towards the investment account. So that account will continue to grow based on the performance of those underlying investments. And then later down the road, you can take an income from that investment account. That cash value is what it's called. So you could take an income from the cash value. And as long as you take it as a policy loan, then it is considered tax-free because it's considered a loan against your cash value. It's not considered a distribution. If you don't take it out the right way or if you over-contribute to the account from an investment standpoint, then it could can be considered a taxable event. So with, with your life insurance income planning, you want to make sure that you're doing it very carefully and you probably want to enlist the help of a retirement planner or a qualified life insurance specialist as well. We keep talking about a premium. Can you pay for some of this in a lump sum upfront or do you have to pay monthly? You can pay in a, in a variety of ways. There are many people that just pay one premium. They pay one premium. That's the only premium they ever pay over the course of their life. Now that premium is going to be significant based on the death benefit and the, the value that you're receiving from the life insurance policy. There's, there's people, especially retirees or pre-retirees, they will do what we call a five pay, which means that they'll pay one premium every year for the next five years. After that five years, the premium is done. It's your permanent policy. It will be there forever. Uh, and then there, there's uh, the traditional policies. Most people pay a monthly premium or some people will pay an annual premium up until age 95 or 101 or whatever. Based on, based on the way that that life insurance policy is structured, it could be a little bit different. 
I'm going to jump back to that income portion because when I think about life insurance, I think about you purchasing life insurance for someone else or for a charity or for when you die. To use that income portion, is that just for the beneficiary or can you use that income while you're still alive? You can use that income for while you're still alive. And one of the the newest types of insurance policies will provide an option for long-term care benefits as well. So amongst the retired community, this is probably the most common or most popular type of policy right now because it really gives you a universal approach as far as how to utilize the premiums that you put in the, into the policy. And what I mean by that is and a traditional way would be do, to do to pay the premiums over a short period of time, maybe like five years. So you pay a $20,000 per year premium for over five years. That's $100,000 invested. And then if you need long-term care, you can use that for long-term care coverage. If you never need long-term care, then you can use it for tax-free income if you choose. And if you never use it for tax-free income or long-term care, or you don't use all of it, then you have that tax-free death benefit when you pass away. So one of the biggest disadvantages of a traditional long-term care policy is if you don't use it, then you lose it. So amongst retirees who are really concerned about long-term care, this is a way that they can invest into a long-term care type of insurance policy. But if they never need it, then they can use it as a living benefit for for tax-free income, or they know that their beneficiaries will receive the death benefit if they never use it, uh, any or or all of it. And in that example, you talked about investing about $100,000. How much long-term care protection do I get typically? Is it two times that, three times that? How does that work? Well, that's a good question. I'll just give you, because uh, this is top of mind, I just I just ran it this week for a couple. And the, so the way that this policy works is it covers both of them. So it covers both of them. They pay $37,000 a year for five years. So call it $180,000 total investment. And then it will cover them $5,000 a month for long-term care. That's per individual. So if one of them needs long-term care, it's $5,000 a month for that individual. If they both need it simultaneously or independent, then it's $10,000 a month. Well, simultaneously, it's $10,000 a month. Independently, they're both covered for $5,000 a month. And that's coverage for the rest of their life. So at the age of 80, they need long-term care. Let's say Mr. Jones needs long-term care. That's $5,000 a month for long or for Mr. Jones. And if he's in long-term care or needs that, even if he's staying at home, if he needs that care until he's age 95, it will continue to pay that 15-year period of time. It will pay indefinitely as long as he needs the okay. care. If Mr. Jones and Mrs. Jones needs it at the same time, that's $10,000 a month as long as they both need it. Now, if they never need long-term care, then it pays $166,000 death benefit tax-free. So it's, it's to give you some numbers around what that looks like. The investment, total investment for them was about $180,000. Uh, who knows if they're going to need long-term care, but if they do, they have that type of coverage. And if they never need it, then they get the vast majority of their investment back, and it's coming back tax-free. And I did want to mention, I, I specifically talked about Mutual of Omaha and how they're suspending sales of fully underwritten life insurance policies for those 70 and over. There are some other life insurance policies that are, are making changes due to coronavirus, and that information is going to be in a link in our show notes that was from the AARP. So if you want to check that out, 
go to the show notes. We're continuing to talk about our superhero in our superhero series. Life insurance is today's superhero. And Lauren, when you think about a legacy plan and using as a legacy tool, maybe becoming even more important because of changes made in the beginning of 2020 in Washington. December 19th of 2019 is when the SECURE Act was passed, and it has turned legacy planning on its head because the primary the primary benefit of having IRAs and passing those IRAs on to the next generation is now they had the option to stretch the distribution of those IRAs out over the course of their lifetime. So if you think about when, when many people pass away, their kids, which is typically the primary beneficiary after both spouses are gone, the kids are typically in their highest wage earning years. Maybe they're 60 years old and making more money than what they've ever made before. So they receive this $500,000 IRA that is pre-tax, which means it has never been taxed before. And they are required to start taking distributions out uh, as of December 31st of the following year of the IRA owner. So they have to start taking distributions out right away. But before the SECURE Act, they could stretch those distributions out over their life expectancy, which means the distribution amount, the required amount, was much smaller. Now, based on the SECURE Act, they only have a 10-year period of time to stretch that out, which means now, they're again, they're in their peak wage earning years. They're going to take these big distributions out. It's all going to be taxed at ordinary income at their tax brackets. And with tax rates probably increasing in the future, it's going to be even more detrimental and it's going to make it even harder for people to transfer their family wealth to their kids because Uncle Sam is going to most likely get a bigger chunk. So one of the strategies that people are really using now post the SECURE Act is using life insurance. What I mean by that is some families are saying, let's take distributions out in retirement to cover to pay for the premiums of a life insurance policy. So when they take these distributions out, they're paying taxes on it, but they're paying taxes at a lower tax rate probably than what their kids would be. And they're they're paying premiums for an insurance policy that when they pass away, it will go to their kids 100% tax free. So they're minimizing the tax on the distributions while they are alive. And basically, they're converting that to a tax-free death benefit where now when their kids receive that life insurance, they can do whatever they want with it, whenever they want with it, and it's all tax-free. So it's just a way that they can, that families can, families can decrease the amount of tax, the tax bill on their family legacy, and they can, in some circumstances, even increase the amount of death benefit or the amount of family legacy that they pass on to the next generations. As you're working with families who are pre-retirees and retirees, and maybe their parents are still alive, but clearly near the end of, of their journey through life, are they aware of being a beneficiary and what they need to know? And my question that I'm trying to get to here, maybe not so eloquently, is what should beneficiaries know, whether they're spouses or children? What, what they should know is all dependent upon what the owner of the accounts wants them to know. And I'm, I'm a big believer in that. And that's what I tell my families. And I do encourage our families to bring their kids or their beneficiaries in for a visit from time to time so they have a relationship. Uh, when, when our families pass, it's not a brand new relationship. It's not the first time we're meeting them. So there is a, there is a sense of comfort 
uh, when that event does happen. And unfortunately that happens almost every single year when we have to help transition assets to the next generation. And that's just a part of, we just see that view that as a part of our responsibility, part of the promises that we make to our families. The legacy planning is a big component of the retirement plans. And part of that is to make sure that the monies do actually transition in the best way possible to the next generation. And what, it, and what we tell our families as we're talking to them about including their beneficiaries, their kids, maybe even their grandkids, is we can share with them anything you want. So if it's just a, a sharing that you have this pre-tax IRA and here's some things to look out for on this pre-tax IRA, you are a beneficiary to or at least one of the beneficiaries to this pre-tax IRA. Here's some of the things with the SECURE Act you need to pay attention to. Um, or here's a Roth IRA. Here's, here's how the Roth IRA works. Here's that kind of stuff. So we can be as generic as that. Or we can be extremely detailed and say, you are, you, you, you are going to inherit $300,000 based on our projections. Here's the type of money that that is, that is coming from. Here's the things to be aware of. And then you can bake that into your plan. The beneficiary can bake that into their plan if they want to as well. So we leave that up to the families because some of our families are extremely private. They don't want their kids to plan on this money. They want the kids to do their own planning. And then this is extra. Uh, some of them are just really private. They don't want anybody to know what they have. And then others, they don't care. They actually uh, see it as a benefit for their kids to know what's coming to them and what type of money so they can be more prepared when they do receive the money. So it's all over the board, but I strongly believe that it, the owner of that money is their money. They worked hard for it. They can do anything they want with it, and they should drive those decisions around what their beneficiaries know. So I got to think there's someone listening who maybe has, and it doesn't even have to be life insurance. It could be an IRA, any, any kind of investment that they have. They, they have it. Their kids don't know that they have it. Let's say they do die suddenly and they didn't get a chance to even give them any indication. How does that work? Does the insurance company go find the beneficiaries? Well, we, we take that lead. Uh, a lot of times if we, you know, we get notification that our families have passed, uh, we have the contact information for their kids, their grandkids, their beneficiaries. And we'll take the lead on that. Uh, otherwise, uh, typically what happens or a lot of times what happens is the kids will start going through their belongings and they'll find this life insurance contract. They'll find, uh, you know, for our families, they're going to find their plan, their retirement plan. And in that plan, it lists out all the accounts that they have. It lists out the dollar amounts as of the date of the, the, the plan writing. And it's going to list out where the accounts are held, whether it's a TD Ameritrade or Fidelity or it's Mutual of Omaha, wherever those accounts are, it's going to be itemized out for them. And I would recommend for families to put together an itemization of the different accounts that they have just to make it easy and let your kids, let your beneficiaries know where this is held in the event something happens to you. They're not searching all over the place trying to find this miscellaneous asset that you might have talked about once 10 years ago, right? You have an updated record of here's what you have and then here's even the contact information so it's an easy phone call. It's an easy email. And it'll make it a lot easier for the kids then to track this stuff down. Mom, Dad, Lauren's talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I mean, we do hear stories and typically those stories are from our family members with their parents because their parents are from the Great Depression era and their mentality is typically completely different. So they have money, they have cash hidden behind the drywall next to the studs or they have it underneath the floorboards or uh, this year, earlier this year, and this is one from one of our family members, so not even the, the Great Depression era, he has money stashed in his backyard. <laughs> In cans. Wow. He has dug holes and put cans of cash in his backyard. And that seems safer than the bank? It's just his entire mentality. He's never never had a checking account, never had a savings account. He just likes cash. I like cash. And so that's where are those coffee cans exactly, Lauren? But you know what? His (laughs) his spouse knows about it. Sure. Uh, their beneficiaries, their kids know about it. So it's going to be a big shovel party when that happens. Wow. I guess. What a, what an interesting, interesting story. So clearly everyone's process is different. Um, you may want to talk about your savings. Maybe, maybe your money's in the backyard and coffee cans. Maybe you got life insurance. Maybe you had a term policy and it's getting ready to expire and you don't know what to do next. Clearly everyone's situation is different. So if you want to have a specific conversation about your specific situation, Here's what you can do. You can go to MerkelPlan.com. It's M-E-R-K-L-E Plan.com and schedule a 15-minute retirement checkup call with one of the retirement planners at Merkel Retirement Planning, and you can talk about your specific situation. Or, Lauren, you can go online and you can watch. There's an opportunity to kind of watch and learn. It's our online workshop. What do people need to know? These online workshops are just a a wonderful opportunity for people to uh, hear this information, see this information with visuals, because with these workshops, we can show you what Mr. and Mrs. Jones's long-term care policy would look like, right? We can give you these specific examples, uh, and we, in, in, Many of these you can watch on your own time, on demand. So all you have to do is go to MerkelPlan.com, and you can see the variety of online workshops that we have uh, where we talk about a variety of topics. So the most recent one we did is talking about the four different ways you can offset the risk of long-term care. Again, this is one of the hot topics for pre-retirees and retirees because long-term care is so expensive. So this online workshop is completely about long-term care the impact it could have on your retirement, your surviving spouse's retirement, and your family legacy, and then also ways to offset that risk. But again, we have a variety of topics. And those workshops are complimentary. Go to MerkelPlan.com for more or continue to listen to this podcast. It's Retiring Today, and we thank you for listening. Merkel Retirement Planning is an independent financial services firm helping individuals create retirement strategies using a variety of investments and insurance products to custom suit their goals and objectives. Any information discussed in these shows is for educational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. Investment advisory services are offered through Elite Retirement Planning, LLC. Insurance services are offered through MRP Insurance, LLC.